Happy Easter. It is so great to see so many of you. Just bless you. I hope you're enjoying the service already. I know that I am. If you're online this morning, we want to welcome you as well. We have uh, really a church presence uh, at Harvest uh, Online, and we just appreciate all of our folks that are online this morning watching uh, this Easter event. I know how the story ends. You know, Christmas and Easter really are, definitely are, our favorite times here at Harvest as we celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas and, of course, his resurrection here this Easter. Today we're celebrating that death could not hold Jesus. The boulder at the mouth of the cave that served as his tomb was not big enough to keep him in, and the, the, the hordes of hell could not keep him in Sheol. <laughs> Go ahead, if uh, you're here today, you know that uh, if you attend Harvest, I, I like feedback and uh, the participation from our, from our congregation is always welcome. And Resurrection Sunday, it actually really is easy uh, as we celebrate this most important day uh, on our church calendar. The resurrection is central to everything that we believe as Christ followers. Without it, there's no Christ to follow, no doctrine to believe. Christianity would just be another religion with another dead prophet that said and, and, and did some good things, but he couldn't, if he couldn't save himself, how would he be able to save us? And so this morning, we really uh, are set apart as Christ followers today because we serve a risen, living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, having said, you go ahead. You just, <laughs> and that's actually perfect because I want to back the bus up a little bit to Friday. We had an amazing Good Friday service for those of you that were with us. And uh, wow, we're just trusting that the Lord did a deep work of ministry and so many people. But back it up a little bit because we, we come ready to, you know, know that the tomb is empty, the stone is gone, and uh, we're all ready to rejoice of the truth of the resurrection. And I just want to pause for a moment to realize how significant the resurrection is. We all, we, we all want to be a part of the group that's uh, standing by the boulder going, oh no, we know how the story ends. 10, 9, 8, 7, he's coming out any second. 6, 5, you know, and the angel comes and sits on the boulder and it's so great. And, ah, we win, we win, we win. And, and it's just so important that I just want to stop for a moment and go back because the Christ followers that were following Jesus did not expect him to die. That wasn't in the story that they understood. Even though he had tried to explain it to them, they were, they were seeing him as a, a current uh, king that would come and restore uh, order, uh, kick out the, 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 the nasty Romans that had taken over Jerusalem, and that he would re, you know, reinstate Jewish rule. And what Jesus was trying to explain to them that he would have, he would have two comings. This coming, uh, the one we're talking about, he would die, he would be buried, he would rise again. And a second coming at the end of the age. And that, that this first coming to the cross, as, as God came and made himself a man and showed us what God was like. Jesus came to walk on the earth, the, the incarnation, God on the earth, Emmanuel, God with us, to show us what God was like, the loving, gracious, compassion, forgiving God that would humble himself and go to the cross and give his life for you and for me, to break the curse of sin. And he did that for the whole world. God so loved the 
world. He didn't do it for one nation. And that's why he was removing himself. And the old covenant in the Hebrew Bible, he was now stepping into the new covenant in his blood. And he was doing something new. Say new. It wasn't an empty religion. Instead, it was a life-filled experience with him. But as they walked with him for those three and a half years and understood what it was like to be with him, now their world absolutely goes upside down as he hangs on the cross and he dies before their very eyes. Matthew 27, now, when evening had come, there was a rich man from uh, Arimathea named Joseph who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So as we read the verse, he's rich, he's asking for the body. The reason it's recorded that way is there was some money exchanged as Joseph would have had to have produced some greenbacks or whatever color the currency was to Pilate to be able to take responsibility for Jesus' body. This man went to Pilate and asked for his uh, body of Jesus and Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. Now, as Jesus is hanging on the cross and Joseph of Arimathea, as he's referred to, this wealthy man who's determined to give Jesus a proper burial, to give him uh, the honor that he deserves for the years, these few short years that Joseph had walked with him. And he takes Nicodemus with him. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And they literally, the two of them, as that cross was lowered to the ground, And I don't know how they would have pulled the nails. I don't know how they would have unfastened Jesus' body from that cross, but they did. And they carried him to a tomb that uh, Joseph had had that nobody had ever been laid in, nobody had ever uh, been placed in before. Nicodemus brought the mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. That's a lot of spices that would have been used for the embalming process, not, not like we do today, more of a, mummy, a mummifying process where it would have been placed, obviously, over Jesus, and then the linen would have been wrapped um, to, so that there wouldn't be the stench and the smell of decomposition. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. And this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And they laid it in the new tomb, which had, was hewn out of rock, And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed, and departed. And that phrase screams out today as we read the story from the perspective, not of us who know the rest of the story. We know how the story ends. But we're just pausing for a moment to think about that how they felt that Jesus who declared uh, his kingdom upon the earth, Jesus that declared, I will never leave you or forsake you, now is dead in their arms as they carry him, place him in the tomb. They give him the burial that they felt that he deserved, this honorable man, this great prophet of God, but seemingly nothing more, and yet they would give him this proper burial and then depart and walk away, literally. And the phrase screams out in more ways than one as they would put a closure to following Jesus. There is no Christ to follow. There, there, is no, there is no teaching to believe. There is nothing else to do now but to depart. <laughs> In more ways than one, it was like a really bad Netflix movie. 
Well, depending on your perspective, all Netflix movies are probably really bad. <laughs> but this, the ones I'm talking about are the ones that suck you in. You're watching it, and you're engaged, and you're sure you can kind of understand that you know where the story's going. And then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, the screen goes blank, uh, bla black, and then the credits start to roll. And if you're like me, I start yelling at the TV. My wife goes, they can't hear you. And I go, I don't care. That's the stupidest movie I've ever seen in my life. What a waste of an hour and a half. I can't get that part of my life back. Yeah? Yeah. And they departed. And they departed. Because it was over. This was not the way they thought the story was going to end. We, got, we did it again. Nicodemus says to Joseph, we got sucked in again as they were men who were believing for something more that experienced the Hebrew teachings, but the lifeless, uh, the law that couldn't be kept. No matter how hard you tried to keep the Jewish law, it was impossible to keep it. The teachings of the Hebrew Bible, they, they, they wanted so desperately to have them come alive. And in the promise of Jesus, they began to do that. How could this be the end of the story? And they departed. Would they go back to the experience of Judaism and devout keeping the law? How could they, after experiencing what it was like to be with Jesus, how could this be the end of the story? Sunday morning, the ladies arrive with burial spices and if, uh, the, only way, the only thing I can figure about that, because 75 pounds uh, that Nicodemus would have uh, purchased, which would not be a small sum of money, it'd be a very large sum of money as these two wealthy men uh, honor Jesus in the burial. And the ladies come, and they also bring, and the only thing I can figure is just history hasn't changed. The ladies knew the guys didn't get it right, <laughs> and they wanted to do it right. And so they arrive to anoint Jesus' body with more spices, and with more of the uh, traditional, again, not embalming because they're not removing life fluid, but placing, placing it on uh, to honor in, in, as a really a mummifying process. And they find an empty tomb. Mary discovers the stone has been rolled away, and, and there's an angel on top. And I don't know how you picture that angel, but I just think he's like the cool kid of the angelic world. He's got the Nike shoes on. He's sitting up there. He's whistling. He's just trying to kind of play it down, you know, but he's so excited. He got chosen to sit on the rock that was rolled away. And uh, there should have been a few hints right about there of what had taken place. But Mary didn't get it. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you, I wonder, like, did Jesus have a hoe in his hand? Or did he have, like, did he have some shears? Like, why, why in the world did she think he was the gardener? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I, I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around, and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. There was no expectation on Mary's part at all that Jesus had been resurrected. She saw him die. Well, the emphasis I'm trying to make this morning is the reality for the followers at that moment. The resurrection is so central to what we all believe. Without a resurrection, you have empty religion. 
You have some teachings that you will try to keep that you won't be able to. That the resurrection today is the living Jesus that comes into our life. And we say it this way, it's not religion, it's relationship. And I'm explaining that today from this very first Easter event. As Mary had really no expectation, watching him die, and now three days later, this has to be the gardener. Who else could it be? She couldn't even visibly recognize him because the con- she had zero context for a resurrection. But she recognized his voice. She recognized his voice, a voice that had spoke comfort to her, a voice that had spoke freedom to her, a, spoke, a, a voice that had spoken life to her. She knew there was more to live for because she had been a follower of Jesus. And now that same voice that had spoken to her before the grave is now speaking to her after the grave. And she crumbles and melts in his arms as she recognizes now who he is. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. She saw him but didn't recognize. Now she both heard and sees him and recognizes him. And she told them that he had said these things. Essentially, she was saying, I know how the story ends. Everything he has said is true. I love this next event is the disciples who don't have a context They don't know what they're going to do, and they're meeting in a room that's locked because they're afraid that they're going to get arrested as well. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. (laughs) They were freaking out. (laughs) Peace be with you. They're screaming. Um, There's a, the doors are locked. How did he, you know, he, he, Jesus walks through the wall and appears to them. After he said this, gives a moment, he showed them his hands, uh, he showed them his hands and his side, the wounds of the cross. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, the Lord said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to capture the significance because for the rest of our few moments together, I want to really focus on what just took place in this room. As he shows them his hands and his feet, the price for their sin. That Jesus had gone on the cross and he had had three and a half years of walking with them. But the reality was that though, though he, uh, God incarnate, walked with them, they still were guilty of their sin. The Bible says all of us were born in sin and separated from God. And Jesus initiated as he chose them as his disciples and goes to the cross to pay for the world's sin, but shows up to tell them first, your sins are paid for. You, do not, you no longer have to try to keep the law. I kept it for you. I am the one that fulfilled all that was spoken. As he shows his hands, the, the, his side where the spear went through, This was the price for your sin so that we could have relationship for the rest of your life and into eternity. He showed them his hands. He showed them his side. And then he says this. Um, He said, peace be with you. And he breathes on them. And if you think about it, that's just weird. Guys, I'm here. I am the risen Lord. It's okay. No, I guess resurrected breath is great. What was he doing? He was imparting to them eternal 
life. The life of God that was in Jesus. He, he said, the, the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. You're leaving this place, you're leaving this room with your sins forgiven, that you are ready for an eternity in heaven, but it begins right now, because I am coming to indwell in, in you. I will be with you forever. There will never be a, a place or a space that I won't be with you. And the very eternal life, living breath of God, he placed in them in that moment. And when we accept what was done on the cross, not only are our sins forgiven, but we're born again. We receive the life, the very living breath of God into our beings. And so Jesus showing them and showing us this morning the work of the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for uh, our peace, our peace that he spoke upon them was placed on him and by his stripes were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul wrote in Ephesians that we are made alive who were dead in trespasses of sin. We're born dead and separated, but at the moment we meet the resurrected Jesus, we too, we too, and in this room, I believe, and it's online this morning, I believe there are some of you today that have never connected what I'm talking about, and you are gonna experience Jesus in your room today, in your space today, experiencing the breath of eternal life. I know how the story ends. The resurrection sets Christianity apart from every other religion because of the event that I just talked about. The payment of sin given to us and the breath of resurrection life imparted into us. Jesus couldn't have given what he didn't have. And so the resurrection moment was so that he could give to you and give to me eternal life. I know how the story ends. Listen now. He is always with me now, and I will always be with him in eternity. I want to say it again. This is the truth of what we're celebrating. What I'm celebrating as I've come to church on Resurrection Sunday, that he's always with me now, and I will always be with him in eternity. So no matter what happens, life or death, I am with him. Say, I am with him, and he is with you. In the same way Jesus showed up in their room that day, he has showed up in my room many times in my life. And I thought I would share a little bit of uh, my story and Christina's story uh, of just experiencing uh, his life in our lives down through the years. And I want to do it in the context of our son, Aaron. And I'll just introduce you to Aaron. Aaron, would you just stand and say hi to everybody today? Just turn around and shake your hand. Wave. Go ahead and wave, Aaron. There you go. <laughs> All right, rock star, you may be seated. <laughs> Aaron will be 24 in June. And uh, uh, 24 years ago, we were uh, living in Messina, New York. I was on staff at a church there called New Testament Church. And Christina uh, was expecting Aaron. And uh, we didn't, it was our fourth, our fourth of five sons. And uh, it was a pregnancy like any other pregnancy. And we were here actually visiting in Cornwall one day. And Aaron went completely still uh, in the womb. And, and Christina, having been a mom that had some children before, uh, this was unusual. Uh, and she wasn't, you know, the first time 
a mom that is kind of really panicky and we don't know anything about what's happening, uh, but she's an experienced mom and realized, no, something is desperately wrong. We headed back home uh, to Cornwall, contacted the hospital. She ex expressed that it had been several hours now. They said, you need to come immediately. And they hooked her up to some monitors. And uh, you know when you're in the hospital and nobody's saying anything, but the temperature changes, <laughs> not, the, not the physical temperature, but just the, the, the tenure and the, 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 the tone of everybody starts to change. Uh, nurses are scrambling. The doctor looks concerned. They move her now into a, a, another space. And there's more wires and more. And you just know that uh, no, the, nobody's saying anything. This is not good. This is just not good. And you're like, is everything okay? And uh, they're like, uh, we're we're, Mr. Stevenson, just a moment. We're just, we're, we'll, we'll talk to you in a moment. And uh, the doctor came out after they got Christina situated in, uh, in, in a, more of a, what looked like an operating room, though it wasn't, but it was a prep room. They said, uh, the baby is in distress. Uh, we're not sure what is taking place, um, but there definitely needs to be an emergency C-section. The C-section can happen now, as the doctor was explaining it, with me here alone, um, because we don't have a complement of hospital staff um, and just the few nurses that are here, and I can't guarantee you that we could provide the care that he's going to need to live after the C-section. I can't guarantee you that he will make it until morning. We will do the best that we can, but I would prefer to wait until morning, until we have a full complement of hospital staff to be able to, to give him the care that he's going to need uh, when we do the C-section. Uh, you, you can go sit in the waiting room now. In those moments where you're stunned at the information you're hearing, your brain goes into, you I mean, you're hearing the words, but you, you, you can't appreciate or know what's happening. And uh, I went in and said goodnight to Christina. I went into that next room and uh, waited. And, and uh, as you're in that room and, and hearing an alarm that would go off several times during the night, which indicated that uh, his heart has stopped beating, and the nurses would come in and roll Christina around and massage uh, her stomach area and try to give him a shove and literally wake him up and start his heart up again, which, which is what would take place. And boom, boom. And we're like, choo, 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 choo. <laughs> that sound from the ultrasound. As I sat in that room, that was a very, very long night, even longer for Christina as we would, we would kind of share later and process the event later. But what I need to tell you as, we, as you're in the room today, that as a Christ follower, knowing that Jesus was in that space, I was able to pray a very simple prayer that night. And it was a prayer that I would pray all night long, and it was just that, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I, I trust you. To be able to put into his hands as his presence was so real, not only for me in the waiting room, but for Christina on that gurney as she was waiting for the morning, and he would have that C-section, and he would be born, and uh, be in crazy amount of distress, and they would care for him, and uh, he, would, he would be alive, he, he, and he was alive, and we would enjoy our son, but in the darkness of that night, 
And there was joy in the morning. But God, what got us through that night was knowing that Jesus is here in this room. And I know how the story ends. I don't know how this story's going to end, but I know how his story's going to end. And his story allows for him to be in this space with me right now. It allows his presence to be here. Gives me access to the life that he breathed into me when I was just a little boy and put faith in him. And in that moment, I need to tell you that I had to grab on with both hands and both feet and say, Jesus, I need you right now. Even though I don't know what you're doing, I know what you have done. And I rest in the, in the truth today that you're with me here and I will be with you for all of eternity. Oh, Aaron would begin his life and he was missing all kinds of milestones. And as parents, we would try to, well, there's really nothing wrong with him. Uh, no, there was everything wrong with him. And, and so finally, we uh, listened to our, um, our family doctor that he needed a full pediatric assessment. We would drive to Albany, New York to do that, have a pediatric specialist look at him. And we went down and spent um, the, the entire day uh, with uh, the head doctor. She was amazing as she assessed him and watched him. And we interacted and talked. And, and uh, uh, Aaron was about, he was about two, right, at that time? And uh, he didn't want walk until he was almost five, and so he was just kind of basically not even rolling. We would move him around, and she would interact, and, and uh, by the end of the day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, the office day there uh, in, this, in this specialist office, um, I, I basically knew that the time had come where she would give us a prognosis and diagnosis, and um, though there couldn't be a diagnosis, we would know for years later that he had a chromosomal anomaly. Um, they just thought there had been some kind of birth trauma but began to kind of say, what you see is what you get. And as I looked at her and I said, doctor, you need to just give it to me straight, all right? That's, that's who I am. That's the way I need to hear it. I need to hear it straight. And she just stared at me with the kindest eyes. I said, Mr. Stevenson, I understand what you're saying, but you're not prepared to hear what I'm about to tell you. And I know you think you are. But with all kindness and all sincerity, she just continued and reiterated, I really need you to listen. You are not prepared to hear this. She began to unfold uh, what it would look like uh, with the global delays that Aaron had and how it would follow him into his, his whole life and how that he had a mental ha handicap, mental handicap that would um, handicap him the way that we see today. And of course, I use that word very carefully, and you understand how I'm using it today because he's not handicapped at all. But in terms of functioning um, in life the way you and I would, as we were leaving the office, I, I, I couldn't breathe. And so I grabbed the doctor's hand. It's all I knew to do, and I, I clasped it, her other hand. I looked her in the eye, and I said, God bless you. And I walked out. And I got to the car door, and Christina had to hold me uh, as we walked. Didn't, I didn't get to the driver's side at the back of our vehicle. I collapsed into the parking lot, overwhelmed by the news, and she's consoling me, and I'm weeping uncontrollably. We would drive home from Albany. It would be a quiet drive. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you have done. As we just sensed the peace of God and the turmoil and the storm, the storm was real, but the peace was real peace be with you. 
We would get home and our three older boys were waiting. They were lined up on the couch with my in-laws because they were all anticipating. They knew what we were doing that day. They wanted to know how the rest of the story would end for their, their little brother. And they knew that there was something wrong and he wasn't like the other brothers and, and as little, little guys and they were eager and they're sitting there and, and Andrew would say, Dad, Dad, as I just start to say, okay, guys, get ready and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that's not easy. And Andrew blurts out, Dad, is he going to be okay? Dad, is he going to be okay? And my eyes would fill up with tears and they would begin to course down my cheeks, and Christina would get in beside the boys and begin hugging them the only way a mother could, and I, I cried out what I'd heard the doctor say. And I was able to say to my boys, I don't know how this story ends, but I can only tell you that I know how the story ends. And Jesus is in the room right now, and he has peace for us, and no matter what happens now, we will be with him for all of eternity. The truth of the resurrection, the reason I celebrate today. Nine years would go by and, and we would be the best parents we can be in a family uh, with a special needs son. And uh, it affects a family in ways that unless you've experienced it, you, you wouldn't understand or know. But we did the best that we could do and nine years would go by. And, and uh, I was here at the church one, one day and we were here with some leadership people getting ready for a small group training, and I would get a call from Christina, and she was frantic. Um, in fact, I could barely make out what she was telling me as she was phoning from our home in Ingleside. Uh, she said, Aaron has had a seizure. Uh, meet me at the hospital. I would meet her at the hospital and find out that he had had some kind of a grand mal seizure, uh, one that isn't in the textbooks because it wasn't a short-term seizure. He was already in the seizure for over an hour. They'd given enough Ativan to knock out a horse, and it, the, he was not unseizing. Um, he laid on a, on a gurney with his diaper because at nine he still wasn't toilet trained, and uh, his lifeless body lay in there intubated, not moving. And as we were standing over him, uh, the, those same three boys that would come, that were asking on the couch, would now nine years later, and they came in uh, to, as they'd heard the news, came into the uh, emergency room. They had thought he, the worst had happened. Nathaniel, my oldest, said, "Dad, is he? Is he?" I said, "No, he's not dead, son." But we don't know how this story is going to end. The doctor himself would get into the ambulance to ride up to emergency. It was a snowstorm that night. They couldn't airlift him out. They were going to have to risk driving him in an ambulance to Ottawa to get the care that he would need and try to find out why the seizure wouldn't release and what damage has been done and how would this end. We held hands and began to pray. I'm telling you these stories today because life is real and stuff happens. But Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. One of the greatest truths of Resurrection Sunday is in the darkest moment of the disciples' lives, Jesus walked into their space and into the room and said, guys, I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. And I don't know what you're facing today, but we were facing life and death in that moment. I didn't know how his story would end, but I knew how the story ended. Jesus in my life now, I would be with him for all of eternity. We drive up to Ottawa and Aaron was awake and we celebrated that he was alive and we would continue life with him. The seizure didn't 
do any further damage that we could ascertain or see and life would continue with Aaron. Several years ago, as Aaron was in high school at CCVS, I went for a parent-teacher interview. The teacher said to me, you need to know that your son's really special. I said, I know that's why he's in your class. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Did he color inside the lines today? That is an exciting day when it happens. (laughs) She said, there's a little girl in our class. Her name is Haley. And she's restricted to a wheelchair because of high-level autism that reduces her to a low-functioning life. And her autism is a world in and of its own, and none of us can enter into her world. Her hand flapping in her, she'll never give you eye contact. Except when Aaron approaches her chair each and every day at the same time, and Haley comes out of her autistic world, wherever that might be. She stops hand flapping and she looks him in the eye and they giggle and laugh together for 45 minutes. At the end of the 45 minutes, she resumes. He's the only one that can go into her world. You see, Aaron made a decision the way he understands to allow Jesus to come into his life. And in that room, Jesus had come in, and I remember praying about it that night, and I felt like the Lord said to me, I need to show Haley who I am, and so I choose Aaron. And the laughter she's experiencing is my presence that she senses in him. You see, Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you with the power of my presence and the peace of the good news for a world that doesn't know that he exists, that it's not religion, but it's a life with Jesus for real in the room. That day when we received the diagnosis and I collapsed in the parking lot, I would get home and tell the boys, the next day I received an email from that doctor. She said, I hope I'm not misusing your email. Please forgive me if I am, because this is not a medical um, exchange. This is personal. She said, I have been searching for about a year now, searching about what is what comes after this life. I've been searching spiritual realities, and she began to outline all the different pathways she had taken. And they hadn't filled her yet. They hadn't answered the questions for her yet. On that day when I felt about as spiritual as a rock, except I knew that Jesus was in my room and he was with me. And even in my incapacitated state, all I could muster was a handshake, look her in the eyes and say, God bless you. And I meant it from the bottom of my heart. And she told me in the email, she said, when you said that, when you said yesterday, God bless you, she said, a warm presence came into the room. You went, you left and went on your way, but I went into my office a little bit overwhelmed because it didn't leave. As I sat in my office chair, I sensed in my room loving compassion. I sensed in the room something so real 
And I knew that it must be God because you said, God bless you. She said it stayed for about an hour and it just, it got less and less. I was able to share with her in an email back about Jesus and why she had sensed him in the room, in her room. Today, we celebrate the resurrection because this is for real. In the darkest hours, in the brightest hours, the resurrection is about living a life with Jesus's breath and life in me. And in those dark moments and times that I know no matter what, what gives me the strength to go on is not me, but Jesus in me. And that no matter what, life or death, I will be with him for all of eternity. As you're in this room today, maybe you're like Martha. You're like Martha who, her brother Lazarus had died and he was placed in a tomb and Jesus came to teach her that I'm the resurrection and the life. Literally, I'm that guy. I'm not teaching you about it. I am that. And Martha said, I know there's something after we die. We, Jesus said, you don't have to wait for the end. You don't have to wait until you die to find out what's going to happen. Maybe you're in the room today and like you've heard about, yeah, I think maybe there's probably something after we die. And Jesus is kind of saying, you don't have to. In fact, you probably shouldn't wait until then because I am right now. Somebody say right now. The resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. He's talking about even we're walking around dead people until his breath is placed into us and eternal life comes in. And then if we physically die, it doesn't matter. We simply, we step from this place into eternity with him. I'm here with him and I'm even more with him for all of eternity then. And then he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Maybe you're like Mary who was at the tomb who came to this Easter service not really knowing what to expect. You know it's a religious holiday. Somebody invited you to come. Easter, Christmas, religion, church, that's when I go. And I'm so glad you came this morning. And like Mary who was at the tomb, you don't have a context for what I'm talking about today. But here's what I think. And if you're online today, here's what I know. That even if you don't know Jesus the way we're talking about, I believe you're gonna hear him call your, your name today. Peter, Tim, Joanne, and in the same way that Mary recognized her voice coming from someone that she wasn't expecting it to come from, God himself, I believe there's people sitting in this room right now that Jesus is getting your attention in this service because he wants to come into your space. He wants to walk into your room. He wants to show you his hands and feet and say, I did this for you. And then he wants to put his life in you. And then he wants you to know when you leave this room today, changed, born again, his life in you, hope for tomorrow, hope for eternity, that he has a plan for your life. He's going to commission you to take his presence to others, like Aaron did, like I didn't even know I was doing. Like so many in this room have watched the Lord work. And maybe you're here today because somebody looked into your eyes and spoke life to you. He's in the room right now. He's in this room right now. Jesus said, look, 
I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. As friends. The Bible says we're born the enemies of God. Today, he's saying, I did something so we could be friends. I, on the cross, paid the price so that you don't have to. I wonder if we could just have every head bowed and every eye closed in this room as we're just about to dismiss this service. Just for a moment of reflection, meditation, if you're here today and you're hearing my stories about the resurrection in a way that you're wondering, how could that be real? How could it be possible that God would walk with you, talk with you, live with you, be there in the hard times and in the good times. I believe he's calling your name right now. And all you do have to do is turn around and say, Jesus, is that you? Yeah, I've been knocking on the door of your life for some time. But today is the day that you're gonna open it and I'm gonna come in. Lord, you can't come in, man. My life is a mess. How about I come back to Harvest for a few weeks and I'll see if I can kind of get this religious thing going. No, that's exactly what I don't want you to do. That's what men and women were doing for millennia. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. You can't do this. I did this for you. All you've got to do is open the door and allow me to forgive you and love you and be with you for all of eternity. Would you? If that's you today, I'm simply going to count down from three, three, two, and one. You're hearing his name right now. Online, just text in right now. I hear, I hear my name. I'm making a decision today. As I count down, I simply want you to symbolize to me today in the privacy of this moment that you're making the decision to invite Jesus into your life. You can do that when I go three, two, one. Simply raise your hand. I'll acknowledge it. And then we're all going to pray together the most incredible prayer of invitation. And Jesus is going to come in to your space. If that's you, three. Yeah, it's for you, two and one. Raise your hand today so I can see it. Anywhere in this room? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else today? <laughs> we get excited when this, yeah, I said that, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. Someone else today, just waiting us a moment. I don't want to rush this holy moment. Online, you're just texting in, and our online host is cheering for you today. If you raised your hand, it is my greatest privilege to have you join in with a prayer. We're all going to pray it with you, a prayer of invitation. Jesus is knocking. You're opening the door by praying this prayer, and he's walking in. Pray this prayer with us. Dear Jesus, thank you for knocking today. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. I receive new life. I receive your eternal life. I receive my new marching orders. I can't wait to be a part of what you're doing today as I'll bring your life from my space into somebody else's space too. I receive you today, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Come on, just congratulate those who made a decision today. If you made a decision today to follow Jesus, 
Uh, we have people that have green shirts. It just marks that they're here helping, volunteering today. They have a special gift for you. There's, some, there's a Bible in there, God's Word, so you can begin reading. Uh, and, uh, and just some things to help you understand a little bit more of what happened today. We're going to sing this final song, and I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my Savior, my defense. No more fear in life or death. Come on, let's sing it out. If you would like someone to stand with you in prayer today, and you might be in a moment where you just need that reassurance, the disciples were in the room together. 
If you want someone to stand with you in prayer, our prayer team is here and they'll stay as long as they need to with you. They wanna serve you that way. We wanna just bless you right now and, and uh, pray over you as you head into your family times at Easter. I want you to remember that even as the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus now is sending us with real, for real Jesus inside of us. You don't have to have it together. You don't have to uh, understand the Bible for that matter. You just have to be a carrier and a courier of the good news that Jesus lives today, that he's in you. He is for you and not against you. Father, we thank you right now. Lord, as Aaron and I just want to... <laughs> He's giggling. Lord, as Aaron and I right now just want to bless, Lord, this great congregation of people that have gathered today. Lord, online and here in the room, those that are receiving prayer, thank you, Lord, that miracles will take place because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same way miracles happen before the cross, they happen after the cross because the resurrected Jesus is here today. Lord, I just pray a blessing as we head into family time. And this will be a great day. And Lord, tomorrow, as others who just continue on this Easter weekend, Lord, thank you. We understand now that we are being sent from this place, Lord, with your power, Lord, with your uh, love and your presence. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, a special prayer for those who made a decision today online and in the room, Lord, that they will sense your presence going with them in a profound and powerful way today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week.